Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. Today, we're very happy to be in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation that we have with Dr. Brett Carver, Regents Professor at Oklahoma State University in the Division of Agriculture. He's the lead of the wheat breeding program at OSU and truly one of the top wheat breeders in this country and really globally as well. Brett Carver's got an interesting story. We're going to share it with you today. And we're being powered today by the Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma, the voice of Oklahoma oil and natural gas. We're back with Dr. Carver from OSU here in just a few moments. The Petroleum Alliance represents every segment of the oil and natural gas industry, speaking with one voice when advocating for the interest of its members, landowner partners, and employees. Our mission is to enhance Oklahoma's economy and every segment of the energy industry. Headquartered in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center envisions a quality public education for every child in Oklahoma, and their mission is to drive transformation and increased academic achievement within Oklahoma's public education system. The Resource Center is a nonprofit organization that provides essential resources, professional development, and technical assistance to the state's public schools. They advocate for high-quality instruction for all Oklahoma students and support increasing classroom innovation to provide them a challenging, globally competitive education. Welcome today to our Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes, and we're really happy to to be in Stillwater today. And we're in the offices of Dr. Brett Carver, our OSU wheat breeder. I guess proper your proper title these days, Brett, is what? Well, the academic title is Regents Professor. Yeah. Well, that, that's an important uh, title as far as, you know, that uh, obviously helps uh, pay some of the bills, the uh, re- re- you know, Regents professor, uh, Professorship. Yeah, nowhere but down from here, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you got to keep going. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of folks uh, within uh, within agriculture in, in our state know you. They, they've, they've heard you speak. They've, they've had conversations with you about some of the, com- you know, some of the things going on as far as our, uh, our, our wheat uh, industry. Industry is concerned, but I, I wanted to get you know get to know let them get to know you a little bit better, and uh, how you came to OSU to Oklahoma. Uh, you didn't start here, right? No, I didn't. And th- and thanks for having the interest. I don't normally uh, get in this kind of uh, storytelling, but I you know I I have to admit Oklahoma was just not on my radar mm-hmm. uh, growing up in Georgia, and I had never been west of the Mississippi River before I got here. For my interview, wow! So I was I was in lost territory. Uh, I, I I can I can kind of relate to that. I can you? My first time I came this far west was to go work, work in radio in nineteen seventy four. Okay, so a few years probably before you, obviously, but uh, I'd never been this far far west. I came from Kentucky. So, okay, yeah. all right. So we we're kind of talking the same language here. That's right. So 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 <laughs> yeah. Right from from Atlanta, Georgia, I I I went to you know school in. In Georgia, University of Georgia, and went from there so to you're a Bulldog. Yeah, go dogs. Try to keep up with them, but I'll I'll cheer against them <laughs> if I have to. There have been a couple opportunities, uh, but uh, yeah. And when they went on to North Carolina State uh, for graduate school, 
um, where I figured out at that point, you know, I really wanted to pursue a, a career in, in agricultural science. And even going into graduate school, I didn't know what kind of ag science that would be. Now, you, you told me that it was science or... Well, before then, it was, it was, it was either science or music. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, and up through high school, I really had aspirations to go on into uh, piano performance. That was, that was what I was really looking for. So you, you and wanted I, to do that uh, professionally. Yeah, professionally and uh, do it right. You know, and and but I couldn't figure out how to do it right and 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 make the living, you know, <laughs> all at the same time. And, and so I just, uh, of course, I had some parental guidance on that one, and uh, I was kind of guided towards the science. Oh, my my family isn't they're, we're all scientists, just about. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of had that influence, but I didn't know what kind of science. You know, I I, I knew it was. I kind of figured it was research, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I thought about medicine, and, and that certainly interested me. But, no, I wanted to I wanted to answer some questions, you know, learn things, discover things. And, and I always had an interest in plants, uh, even in Atlanta, Georgia. It wasn't crop plants, but just mm-hmm. plants. And yeah. so, you know, I, I figured out in graduate school, okay, I like, I like the physiology work. So I started that for a master's degree in soybeans looking at – Lo and behold, soybean oil quality. I mean, that, okay. was, that, was, that was the tune I sung. It was all about oil quality. And look what we're talking about today. <laughs> it's so much of wheat quality. So I, I think there is some connection there, subconscious. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I thought then, you know, that the laboratory work was fun. Uh, I liked some of the research I was doing. But I thought, you know, the genetics part of it sounds even more interesting. So I got into the genetics part from a Ph.D., again in soybeans, again with soybean oil quality, trying to modify the fatty acid composition. Same, same, uh, same verse or a different yeah. verse, same song. There. It, yeah. it truly was. Yeah. And so, you know, we're looking at trying to uh, stabilize soybean oil for the, mm-hmm. for, the, for the oil market. And to do that, you have to change the fatty acid composition. The, the same work is going on today, but it was started in the 1970s. That's when it really got started with breeding. So I was really pumped to, to be involved with that and see how that was taking place and how that was evolving at North Carolina State. Well, you know, at some point you've got to get out and work, you know, work for a living. And, and so the, I, it reached into my, uh, my educational rope, and, and, we'll look, and I had some possibilities to stay in the southeast. But there was this one job at Oklahoma, um, and I had a professor at North Carolina State take a job here as an extension specialist. So I had that connection. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it was, wasn't a totally lost world to me. And that professor was Dr. Gene Krenzer. All right. So he was on the faculty at North Carolina State and came out here. And I thought, what was he doing going out to Oklahoma? <laughs> well, he was going out to work on wheat. And darn it, I didn't follow in his footsteps, except in a different path, you know, with the breeding side of it. Well, this job came open here that I just thought it was a dream job, you know, to do the research that I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was with a plant that I had no experience with. So you really had not I worked had, with wheat before that? I, I hardly knew what a wheat plant looked like, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there was a lot of schooling that happened, mm-hmm. uh, even after school. And, and, and I had that opportunity here. The university was very kind and very patient, and, I, and you know, they allowed me to take the job. I thought I was the most qualified, but I knew there was some pretty good competition. Mm-hmm. And, and so they were very patient with somebody who didn't know the, the wheat angles. 
And so I worked with Dr. Smith, my predecessor, mm-hmm. who ended up retiring in 1998. Well, I came in 1985, so I had 13 years. Ed Smith, right? Ed Smith, mm-hmm. Dr. Ed Smith, and I, it great, was just a great, uh, great well, researcher. Yeah, yeah. So this was like a, a PhD after the PhD. <laughs> so I got to learn about wheat breeding mm-hmm. without the, you know, so much the pressure uh, of producing a commercial product. I was doing some of the, you know, the, the backroom research. It was more field oriented, but it was still basic research, and I. And really cut my teeth on that. I taught a lot, taught mm-hmm. quite a bit in, in areas of, get this, quantitative genetics, you know, basic plant breeding theory, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed and I was very interested in. But then, you know, I also saw this applied side of it that Dr. Smith was, was uh, into. So when he retired, the door was wide open. What, what do you think he taught you? Oh, he taught me... He taught me a lot of the art. I don't know if he really knew it, that he was doing it, but I would walk with him in the field, and he would make comments about what he was seeing, things that I really wasn't seeing. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what to look for. <laughs> but he, as he talked about this variety versus that variety and what he was seeing in the two, you know, comparing differences, I started to pick that up. You know, and, and that's what you really have to do. You know, you have to get out there and see these kids. You really have to experience the crop with your own eyes to, to, to do the best job possible. And, you know, we can't just sit up here in this office and mm-hmm. breed wheat. Right. We'd like to be able to think we can. Maybe we can in the future, but I don't think that's where we're going to go. Still got to get out Still and those research out. plots and everything and see what the differences are from see one you, to the other. What you may not be able to see in the data. Mm-hmm. You've got to fill a lot of gaps, and you fill those gaps with what you see and what you experience in the field. And that's what I was picking up from Dr. Smith that I wouldn't have picked up otherwise. Right. If I had come here just, you know, right out of NC State with a soybean background and started breeding wheat, it would have been a tough road to haul. Mm-hmm. A little bit of extra education that uh, that helped a great deal. Yeah. Okay. And, again, the universe was patient about it. Very appreciative for that. Okay. We're talking today with uh, Dr. Brett Carver, a wheat breeder here at Oklahoma State University on the road to rural prosperity. And uh, you, you had the opportunity to, to take the lead position uh, with the retirement of Dr. Smith. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, when he retired in 1998, uh, the, the question was, does Oklahoma State University go out you know, and do a national search mm-hmm. for that replacement, or do we stay local? Um, I made the case to Dr. Westerman, who was department head at the time. And it was, okay. you know, he, I, I think he, he kind of saw the world like I did. And he saw that there was a lot of experience already accumulated uh, uh, through the time I'd spent here. I told him, you can count on me. Uh, I can make this shift uh, with the right support, of course, mm-hmm. um, both in technical support and administrative support and whatever. I can make this shift from basic research to applied now research, uh, developing the varieties. Because I had seen it. And uh, so that's, you know, that's, I guess they did their search. <laughs> and you were This it. is it. That's right. So, you know, as, as you establish that, uh, that, that new role here at OSU, you know, what, what how did you have to get, what, what did you, what did you do to get your arms around it? Well, I, I continued doing some of the same things I was always doing. I was, I was still doing the research. Mm-hmm. I don't do near as much 
basic research like I used to. There just isn't the time to do that now, but I was still doing that research to still learn the plant, learn the traits mm-hmm. that we breed for today, you know, and, and learn how those traits are inherited uh, in, in terms of field, learn how those traits are expressed. Uh, so there was very little I knew about disease resistance, uh, not knowing anything about weed, of course. I didn't know anything about disease resistance, and that was also something I had to really get my arms around. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have Bob Hunger here, Dr. Bob Hunger, a great mentor and colleague. So I have had that kind of expertise to rely on uh, when I couldn't do it myself, and that's the normal case. Right. And and I guess what uh, you you obviously all along the way, uh, one of those partners that you've had uh, has been the uh, the wheat commission, and yeah. uh, they've uh, they've given you obviously the uh, opportunity to to pick their brains. The, the wheat producers that are part of that, I'm sure, have given you a lot of uh, counsel regarding you know what they really need in uh, in the varieties that you might be you know trying to develop. Exactly. Yeah, I've I've had. Great relationships, I feel like, with all the uh, uh, the leadership that has come through the Wheat Commission over the years. And yeah. All the way back, I think maybe the first one I would have worked with uh, was Chris Rink. Okay. If I, if I remember that correctly, maybe one before him. But, um, yeah, I've, I've had that tutelage and that relationship uh, with the commission over the years. And, and to have that influence from off-campus. I think is is a critical piece of doing this kind of job. Right. You know, you've got to be able to to connect to the people you're serving, and that's one way to connect mm-hmm. was through the commission. Another way was through our extension service. Right. Right, for sure. We're talking today with Dr. Brett Carver, uh, Oklahoma State University's wheat breeder. And, and today uh, on the Road to Rural Prosperity, we'll continue with Dr. Carver here in just a moment. The Petroleum Alliance represents every segment of the oil and natural gas industry, speaking with one voice when advocating for the interest of its members, landowner partners, and employees. Our mission is to enhance Oklahoma's economy and every segment of the energy industry. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. We're talking with Dr. Brett Carver, a Regents Professor and Wheat Breeder at Oklahoma State University, head of a whole team. Uh, I guess what the uh, proper title these days, the Wheat Improvement Team, that, that you're a key part of. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, this whole, uh, you know, developing how you've actually gone about trying to build uh, that that uh, dance card of yours that ends up being wheat varieties that wheat farmers are actually using on a year-in, year-out basis. Well, you mentioned uh, the wheat improvement team and mm-hmm. the team of scientists that that is so not just critical it's functional mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's how we do what we do because i as a breeder cannot cover all the bases and i'm not even going to begin to act like i'm going to do that so you've got to rely on the right people and 
sure enough, we've had the right people here. Some have gone, come and gone, but some have stayed mm-hmm. uh, throughout the same length of time I've been here. And 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 I mentioned Doctor Hunger and our We Extension Service. I remember the first person I talked to coming here on this campus. Now, the first person would have been Lewis Edwards, who picked me up at the airport. Soybean breeder. <laughs> Soybeans of all things. Yeah, really. But uh, the second person would have been David Howell, Dr. Okay. David Howell, who was our weed extension specialist at that time. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he kind of took That was in. mid-'80s. That was mid-'80s. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, after that, Dr. Gene Krenzer. So the, the person I, I looked up to as a faculty member at North Carolina State when I was a graduate student there, I'm now working with him. Mm-hmm. On the weed improvement team. Now, that, how odd is that? But you know, it just worked out so well, mm-hmm. and we had a great relationship over those years. But, but anyway, I just cannot say enough of having that kind of talent here. And I've always said we don't have a really deep bench. We don't have three deep, right? At all these positions, we're one deep. But man, those one those one deeps, they're good. They're really good. Yeah. I don't want to play with anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as, you, uh, as you've tried to develop this, the whole concept of what you want to accomplish as a wheat breeder, what are, what, how, how did you walk through that process to the point where you were actually starting to identify the, uh, the traits that you wanted to, uh, to put into that, uh, that plant? Oh, there's a lot of things that go into that, but... I think maybe the, the most important is you look at the successes from the past. What is it that make those varieties acceptable or better yet popular with wheat growers? And so I was constantly looking at what other people were producing mm-hmm. and seeing what was it about those varieties that 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 uh, attracted those the, the wheat producers. I mean, one good example is Jagger. I mean, Jagger was growing all over the state for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I studied Jagger to the hilt. I knew it's... And that was for uh, K-State? That's a K-State variety. Yeah. Okay. Uh, released in the uh, mid-90s. Mm-hmm. So it became very popular in the late 90s, early 2000s, and stuck around for quite a while. Right. I mean, Jagger is the bedrock of, of the genetics for the wheat breeding program at K-State, and a, a big part of our bedrock now. Mm-hmm. We shifted at that point because of Jagger. Uh, but, you know, just, just seeing how those varieties perform and how they react to the environment, how they look, again, it's that, you know, it's that characteristic look. It's hard to describe at the microphone, but you just know when you see it in the field that that's it. That's what I'm looking for. And it's not always the same exact look, you know. Uh, you just know it's going to be productive, and it's, it's, and it's a product, productivity that you can count on. It's not just what you see today and this year. It's what you think you're going to see in the future. That's what's really tough to try to predict. I know that uh, you know over the years you've uh, you've uh, had a whole bushel uh, basket full of varieties that have come through your program and been named, been, been approved by the by the university, and have gone on out to uh, be utilized by farmers. How, how many varieties? Oh, I don't. I know, I that's a tough. I haven't counted them. <laughs> I, I think it's over twenty. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm looking at those well, five this year. So. Five yeah, this yeah. year, yeah. yeah when well, I counting those, yeah, okay. Well, uh, they're just they're hard, they're still numbers to me. <laughs> I'm starting to, I'm starting how to use those names right yeah, now. Really, uh, but you know, it, it's about one per year. I remember I remember I was told, you know, the expectation 
at that time was not one per year, but that's what it needed to be. Well, to get to one per year, I knew we had to make some changes in the program. Okay. We had to ramp it up. We didn't have the amount of material going through. The pipeline was just not big enough to accommodate one product per year. So the first thing I did in 1998 was we made the pipeline bigger. How do you do that? You make more crosses. Not just any cross. You make crosses that you think are going to have success. And that's another part of this breeding process that it's hard to pick up in a classroom. Mm -hmm. You just pick it up with experience. You know, I can, I don't. We can make 10,000 crosses every year, but we don't have the capability to deal with that amount of germplasm for the years after that. We can deal with 1,000, though. And at the time that I started, it was about 300 to 400 crosses per year. So now we're making 1,000. That kind of tells you what the difference is in the pipeline. So as you make those crosses, there, that's where you start hopefully seeing something that uh, kind of pops out at you. That's right. And you want to increase the likelihood that you're going to get that pop. Mm-hmm. You know? And how do you do that? You make certain crosses. And some of that you can do scientifically. But a lot of it, you just have to go on gut instinct. Okay, if I put this parent with that parent, what do you think you're going to get? Well, I can tell you one thing. <laughs> I'm not going to put – you'll you'll hear me say this outside this room. I'm not going to put bad quality with bad quality because mm-hmm. I know I'm going to get bad quality back. Juvenile delinquent there, yeah. That's a, that's a delinquent and you're asking for it. <laughs> Why would you ask for misery? So, you know, we, we can do those kinds of things. But sometimes, even when we think we're we're combining good with good, mm-hmm. we don't always get that the good we thought we were going to get. Right, and that's that that just comes with the breeding territory. That happens with any plant, with any breeder. I guess it's kind of like a box of chocolates, huh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> horse, horse had it pretty uh, pegged pretty well for a lot of things. I think that's that right. Way. That's so, right. So you know, as you as you think about. Uh, You've you've kind of over the years you've been able to look at the unique needs of farmers in our part of the world in Oklahoma primarily but our neighboring states too in the hard red winter wheat belt yeah vastly different than Georgia and North yeah. Carolina yeah and you've come up with some of the things that you thought would help these guys and ladies do better exactly and you know there's the, the, so much for the differences between Oklahoma and the southeast what about western oklahoma versus central oklahoma i'm amazed by that mm-hmm. and to find that that variety that that performs well across our eco geographical uh zones that we have it's not easy it's not easy mm-hmm. and so that's why we have a breeding program inside the main breeding program mm-hmm. out in the panhandle of course i'm here i don't live out there but we still have right. a breeding program set up out there uh, for that part of the state, but yeah, it's it's. Um, I I don't envy the breeder, uh, in their in private industry that that tries to develop a variety that's adapted from Texas to uh, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I want to take on that job. Right. I think it's hard enough to find something just adapted well enough to Oklahoma, and now to go out and find that cross state. It's it doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. You have to swing and miss a lot of times. I'm not sure I want to stand up the plate and miss that many times. 
<laughs> uh, you know, when you think about uh, your, the varieties that have come through this program, I know there's been a couple of uh, kind of game changers. Yeah. Um, I didn't think you would ask that, and I'm glad you did. That's, that's a, what were the game changing? Well, you know, 2174, mm-hmm. Ed Smith left us that. Mm-hmm. And that sort of turned the corner for us. We started to get away from the Triumph, uh, which is kind of century Cimarron lineage, and the Triumph lineage was so important for early OSU wheat breeding, mm-hmm. but it kind of wore out. We needed something a little broader diversity that could bring in uh, better disease resistance than what we were getting from that lineage. Mm-hmm. And 2174 and its connection to the old Pioneer germplasm, okay. that's mm-hmm. how we got 2174. Those numbers are not OSU numbers. Those are pioneer numbers. Okay. And it was having now that access to that pipeline that influenced ours, and that was a game-changing moment for us. I, it should have been a game-changing moment for a lot of breeding programs, but it certainly was for OSU. That's where we turned the corner about the early 2000s. So what came out of that first product? Uh, well, 2174, of course, but beyond that, first one, uh, endurance. Okay. That was a game-changing variety for us. It it we made a significant leap in yielding ability. Plus, now we had grazing tolerance on top of that yield potential. That's why endurance was named endurance, was for the grazing tolerance. And so, you know, from there on, we had duster. Duster's another pioneer mm-hmm. derivative. Right. And so you could see that corner was turned. Mm-hmm. And we still had that pioneer influence today, but not near as much. It's been diluted a little bit. Right. And obviously, the the number one thing that farmers probably come to you and say they want they want to see that genetics that has the ability to yield. Uh, when right. everything goes right, it yields really good. Exactly. And uh, you know we have all the data in the world. You would think to say it, this will yield good, but not until the farmer gets it do we know just how good good it is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not as good as we thought it was. Yeah. Oh, and that that. That reminds me of, and it, it, I'm, I'm today I'm even trying to publish a paper about this, the Gallagher Iba story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when we released Gallagher and Iba together, that was because we could not decide. You know, Gallagher had some characteristics we knew were important, but Iba had that yieldability. It had yield potential that I hadn't seen. I mean, this was a step above. Yeah. Gallagher didn't have quite that potential, but it could get there in certain years. But it also had some Hessian fly and acid soil tolerance. I really thought Ibo was going to be the one that, that catch on because of that yieldability. Mm-hmm. No, I think the wheat producers saw them kind of in that window of acceptability. They're both good for yield. But now this Gallagher, it has some characteristics that Ibo doesn't have. Right. And they were looking for those. And, you know, that was a lesson to me. I'm still learning today just what, what wheat producers want because that's what we have to do. We want to give them what they want. And, of course, our milling and baking industry as well. But that was a true lesson for me today, and I, and I won't forget it. Mm-hmm. I won't forget it. It makes us go back to those characteristics. Hessian flag, for one, we're not going to let go of it. I wish that's one thing we could do here that we didn't have to rely on other people outside the university. Um, you know, uh, Chris Kyle is a great entomologist, but that's just – he just doesn't have the time to focus. We have we have other problems. We have aphids, right? And and hessian fly is something we we have to rely on other people to help us. 
uh, make those gains. Uh, you know, eventually we're going to be able to use the molecular markers that Dr. Yans invested his life into. Right. You know, you uh, you you look at these various varieties that you've been able to put together. There's a couple of attributes that uh, I know that you've uh, that that's unique to our part of the world, and the the grazing grain. Is something that has been developed uh, all the way back to the endurance, most certainly. But we, we've seen that more used as one of those marketing, uh, uh, you know, phrases that we've uh, we've uh, incorporated into a lot of the conversation about these newer varieties. Exactly. That's that's a big part of our program. Mm-hmm. We trademarked it, and that grazing grain mm-hmm. uh, terminology now is, is trademarked. It's a it's 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 the very fabric. Of this breeding program, it's, right? It's what we do, and the first experiment that I planted here at OSU in the fall uh, of '85 was a wheat forage study. Uh, of course, soybeans. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to worry about forage, but and and here in Oklahoma with wheat, right. I so that was that was a wake up call to me to see the differences in forage production. And here again, you know, that 13-year period of working with Dr. Smith, I went off kind of on a tangent because he was not spending the time on it. He had other things to do, other fish to fry. But I really learned what forage production was in wheat, what made good good, what made bad bad, but also the ability of that plant to recover Mm -hmm. from forage removal. That resilience. That resilience. Get the combine in. in Yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know, I had the time to study it. Even published papers on it, so I was able to take that information that I picked up, you know, just in a, in an academic world, and now apply it. And so that's why you see so much grazing grain talked about mm-hmm. in this program. I don't I don't like to see that used in a negative way, like you know, uh, OSU wheat varieties are only good for grazing. Mm-hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth, but it is a very big part of our truth and right. what we do. I want to talk uh, as we kind of wind down a little bit about the the kind of the business yeah. of this of the wheat breeding program. Uh, you've kind of made the, the the decision along with some others that OSU is going to stay kind of as a standalone in some ways, but you're you're not necessarily partnering up as many other universities have with some uh, some private companies. Yeah, that's that's an evolving thought process too. You know, that is, what we do today may not be exactly what we're doing okay. three or four years from now. Um, but I thought it was important that we be that we Oklahoma State University be able to stand on our own two feet in terms of what we do in wheat breeding, and that means we have to have to have the germplasm that we can rely on to produce commercially relevant products, the varieties for the farmers, and that mm-hmm. that. We're not going to let go of that. We're not going to depend on somebody else to provide the germplasm, but we might want to interact. And so we have done that. Uh, I won't go into a lot of details here, but we have interacted with private companies. I guess with double stops to get an example. Exactly. BASF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's one that everybody knows about. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it was American Cyanamid. Okay. So we might want to access some traits that we cannot develop ourselves. And, of course, the next one's going to be oxygen which is part of the coaxium system. So that's right. another herbicide uh, resistance uh, technology that we can access and bring into the program. We're going to be working with private companies to do that. And we've always maintained a, a working relationship with Pioneer. Now they helped this program make that turn. So I, I just feel like it's a natural fit for us. Right. So now it's Corteva. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not Pioneer. Right. Now, one thing that uh, has kind of maybe changed the game a little bit is the ability to make sure you've got funds flowing back from yeah. your research. And I guess uh, we saw some of that even before Oklahoma Genetics came into the picture as far as the royalties. But they've really helped you, uh, uh, I guess, turn things around as far as to, to market things to best advantage for the university. Oh, yeah. that That is that that's another game changing moment uh that that game changed in 2009 I, that's i'll never forget that year that's when uh we we entered this era mm-hmm. where you know now we're going to be licensing uh, just like we licensed the osu uh logo on a right. jacket you mm-hmm. know we're now we're going to license the plant genetics just like everybody else was doing really at that mm-hmm. time so we were a little bit late to the game but we're definitely part of that game now and we depend upon it to support this program uh, in a cyclic way, it also motivates us now to to be able to guarantee our success ten years from now. We need to be successful today, mm-hmm. so we need to work hard, right? So we can work hard ten years from now. But I guess I, it's almost like a scorecard too, because it does give you an indication of what uh, what varieties right. people are really interested in uh, utilizing. Yeah, and we get get more, we get better metrics, you know, mm-hmm. on, on what what is being utilized. I pay attention to the wheat variety survey. For a lot of reasons, you know. Um, but I've got to say, Ron, it was really before the licensing uh, where OSU stepped up and helped this program stay um, uh, relevant, but also stay on a financial base that was strong enough to keep it relevant. Right. And that was through the Wheat Genetics Chair. There was no other Wheat Genetics Chair in the country. It was started here first. Wow. In the 80s. And so Dr. Smith was the first wheat genetic, the holder of the first wheat genetics chair. And that's an endowment that guarantees funding for the program, Mm -hmm. guarantees it each and every year. Now, it's not to the level that we can see from the royalties from licensing. Right. But it's still, it pays salaries, pays part of my salary. You know, and to have that kind of financial base and to be able to say we did it first, I'm very proud of that moment. Let's uh, look into the future, if we could. What, uh, as you try to head toward uh, what that is that ultimate, great, incredible Duster Gallagher uh, new uh, new variety, uh, as, as you look for it, that's got everything perfect. What what how how do, how do you get there? Given the tools that you've got today, you've got new tools. Obviously, you didn't have in 1985. Right, that's right. The, the 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 biggest and most notable tool is the molecular mm-hmm. uh, markers that we can now use to help take some of the guesswork out. And there's a lot, there was a lot of guesswork, and I'm I'm still saying there's guesswork, but <laughs> but but uh, and gut. yeah, and just gut instinct. <laughs> but still, you know, we had that help on the molecular side. But but Ron, I don't know that uh, we'll ever reach perfection. You know, I, I'm I'm looking at this as a constant improvement. Now, when we get to that. 200 bushels per acre, which is the so-called theoretical limit, biological limit for wheat, you know, then we'll start talking about, well, we've kind of reached that level of perfection. Well, now what can we do to extend that limit? Because mm-hmm. that, that discussion is taking place today. Uh, so that's, that's certainly in our future. But to me, you know, once we kind of get the yield curve in that trajectory where we want it, and I think that's where we're at right now, we're making those 5% gains every cycle. We've got to do that at least. Mm-hmm. We can start thinking about some other things. Uh, 
and, and making them perfect. Uh, you know, we, we talk about quality. And so we don't have to sacrifice that yield trajectory to get the quality trajectory right. We just have to work a little harder. And, and so we're spending more time on that, not to take away from yield. And then on top of that, I think there's an opportunity to make that wheat kernel even more healthy than what it is today. We can change the starch. We don't have to use genetic modification. We don't have to use GMO technology to do that. Right. But it will take just a lot of work and maybe some relationships with private industry to make that happen. I think that's in our future. I would like to see us bring some of those uh, uh, really important, uh, what they call phytochemicals, bioactive compounds, the ones that help our health. Mm -hmm. They're in the wheat kernel. How do we make them even more plentiful, more available to us? Mm-hmm. I think that opportunity is on that table in the very near future. And one of the terms I've heard is nutraceutical. Nutraceutical. Yeah. So yeah, and and you know we're, we're to this. I'm just trying to set up a project right now over with the uh, College of Education and Human Sciences to work on antioxidant capacity. That capacity is already present in the wheat kernel, but it could be even greater mm-hmm. if we work on it. We have to direct the breeding effort towards it. We, we haven't, but we're going to do that. But, again, we're not going to lose sight of what we have to do, and that is to keep that yield curve straight up. Right. And I guess the other thing that you've kind of been uh, had quite a bit of conversation with and you've actually represented the industry in some cases, the gluten conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I took a little side trip to do the research. <laughs> And I just, it goes kind of back to my research days. I just wanted to answer some questions because I, I got tired of having to say, I don't think that's right, but I don't have the numbers to back it up. Well, now we have the numbers to back it up. The gluten in wheat, it's okay. You know, th- to some people, mm-hmm. yes, those with an autoimmune response or those that may have a heightened intolerance to certain parts of the gluten, yes, those components are there, but they're not there today to any extent greater than what they were there when breeding wheat breeding started 100 years ago. That gives me back, a little... Back to turkey. Back to turkey. Mm-hmm. In fact, we may have examples, and one of, one of which is IBA, which has even less, a lower concentration of amino acid sequences, which is the building block to protein, which is part of gluten. Uh, those sequences occur in less concentration, lower concentration than in the variety turkey. So, okay, now we have the question, well, can we do that by trying? Mm-hmm. Can we make that concentration lower by trying? We, we did it by accident. What can we do if we try? So that, that's another researchable area that, that, that's in our future. All right. Thank you, Dr. Carver. Uh, Brett Carver has been our guest today, a wheat breeder here at Oklahoma State University on the road to rural prosperity. And one other thing, Brett, yeah. uh, I know that uh, you were pretty proud – when the uh, governor and the lieutenant governor squared off against each other out in front of the uh, Department of Agriculture in Oklahoma City uh, with a couple of your varieties, that uh, they, they kind of in a friendly competition had them growing uh, this, last, uh, this last season. And that was kind of a, an interesting uh, mile marker for uh, wheat breeding in the state. Oh, wow. To get that kind of uh, attention and, and visibility mm-hmm. at that level, I, I was just tickled to death. And I had to kind of laugh, you know, a little bit and silently because if, if they could pick the winner, 
more power to them because I certainly couldn't. <laughs> Indeed. Dr. Brett Carver has been our guest today on the Road to Rural Prosperity and has helped most certainly Oklahoma achieve a lot of top ten uh, credibility in the area of wheat breeding and research and, and production of our, of our crop of uh, winter wheat as well. On the Road to Rural Prosperity, I'm Ron Hayes. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the funk companies.